Hello everybody, I'm absolutely delighted to have Jill Walker with me today. Um, I'm very interested in what Jill does. She's an executive psychologist and CEO coach, which the executive psychologist piece is the first thing when I met you, Jill, that caught my attention. And we met each other through a wonderful lady called Fiona Buckley when we went to the Dublin Chamber dinner in our beautiful evening gowns. Um, and I'm really interested in what an executive psychologist and CEO coach, what you do, but also the midlife transitions that you see people going through. So that's really what I thought would be um, of interest to a lot of people that would listen to this. And I want to start off, Jill, with you telling us a bit about your career and your life up to now. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, it's lovely to be here, Marianne, and talk to you again. Um, yeah, so I guess my background as a psychologist, I, like, I really am a psychologist in the person that I am. Like, it's more than it's more than what I do. And I was very lucky to find myself in that as a career. And then early on, I, I worked in, in various roles as a psychologist. And um, I guess I, at one point I worked in advertising and we worked on I was in Belfast in Northern Ireland and we worked on the it was around the time of the Good Friday Agreement. And one of the campaigns we worked on was trying to keep the peace in Northern Ireland after that to sustain that. We also worked on um, road safety campaigns, the kind of um, consumer behavior stuff around getting people to wear their seatbelts or not drink and drive and things. And that was really when I noticed that making a difference was a really big part of my career, that that's why I was so drawn to that, that part of the work that I did. And then, um, then when I started, I worked in the Irish Management Institute here in Dublin, and that was really when I, I found my home, my home in leadership development, helping people be the best that they could be. And my focus was really always on um, that piece around personal empowerment and resilience and that side of things more than the business side, that, that personal side. Because me as a person, when I look back, it's funny how you can join the dots when you look back. I've always been around, um, I've really always cared about people being the person that they're meant to be and being as happy as they can possibly be. And that doesn't matter what part of my life that is. That could be with my kids, that could be with friends, that could be in my work with my clients, or actually just randomly sitting on a plane beside somebody in the conversation that I'm having with them. So that's always been what really has mattered to me. And it's so therefore I can see it now, it's threaded through all parts of my life but then of course I get to do it every day in my work which is absolutely amazing and and that's where I am now really focusing on on that area and you know if I read the about section of your LinkedIn yeah. <laughs> which I loved reading <laughs> it's like my life was really good I'd been running a successful leadership development and executive coaching business for almost 20 years working with fortune 500 companies and other wonderful clients but deep down I knew I wanted something more um and I think as you as you did this work and, and you were obviously mm -hmm. highly successful, yeah. um, things started to change for you and also in the industry. And, and I think mm -hmm. there was a bit of an awakening. So tell us about yeah. that. What there happened was. there? There was. And it was very strange because, I, as you said there, I ran a lot of leadership programs. And one of the most common things people used to say to me in the coffee breaks or the lunch breaks was, Jill, you obviously love what you do. And I really, really did. I mean, I'd run that business for 17 years. I loved it. But something was starting to shift in me around that time. And I could see it. I can see it now when I look back. And it was this sense of I've got a really good life. There's so much that's great about my life. But it was a sense of wanting something deeper and more meaningful. I, want, I knew I could have a greater impact. 
and that's so I know this podcast is, is about breakthrough and that's that was my breakthrough so it, I, I can see when I look back it was coming for a while as is often the case with my clients coming to me they often when they're talking they, these thoughts have been around for a while it's not a sudden thing but then might there, there might be a moment or a catalyst and for me my my moment was I was on this course in London really really intensive coaching course and over a year and I was in this particular exercise and I remember something just shifted in me and it would have been brewing for such a long time but I remember it was like something snapped in me and I thought I'm committing to this I'm going to do whatever it takes to work in the way that I know is possible and to work um, with clients in the way that I which I wasn't possible at the time because I was running so many programs I was doing executive coaching I was and getting involved in certain programs I was teaching things and it just wasn't possible so that's when and um, three months later I'd sold my business and I, I, I so remember this moment because the lady who took over my business she was a lovely person and she was saying Jill do you not want to maybe hold on to a, a few of your favorite projects or a few of your favorite clients and I remember the feeling at the time was so strong in me and I was saying to her absolutely not I don't want I don't want a foot in the, the old camp I don't want a safety net and I hadn't at the time heard the phrase, but I've subsequently heard it, that if you want to take the island, you burn your boats. And what I was doing was I was burning my boats. I was ready to commit fully to a way of coaching, a way of working with people. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to have any compromise on that. And that's the way that I work now. So I committed fully to it. And that's the only way that I coach and the only way that I work now. And it's, for me, it's not just my work. It's a radical change in the way I'm, the way I'm living, the way I'm being. And actually, when I look at it now, that journey that I went through is what my clients go through. They have great lives. I only work with highly successful people, but there's something in them that's going, maybe I want something more, a little different, or something doesn't fit quite right, or it's not as meaningful my work as it used to be. And that's the little voice inside their head. And that's, I can see now, that's exactly what I went through. So I know exactly I know exactly what they're talking about when it happens and I can see the icebergs, I can see what works, I can see what doesn't. A, because I only work with people in this transition space at whatever po point in that journey they are, but also I've been through it personally myself, so I know it. I'm very interested in that. Um, I want to dig into that a bit more. Mm. Um, I think that um, I remember when I did Levels of Work, you know, earlier Jack and I started getting into adult development, people mm. always said that, you know, this is, this is identity transformation it is. and it's incredibly uncomfortable and it can be yeah. quite painful, right? Yeah. So because there's a bit of a disintegration and a bit of a curve jump that needs to occur. So tell yeah. me more about that because surely people yeah. are scared and uncomfortable Yes, absolutely. And one of the interesting things that happens, and this is the psychology of it, is that people often focus on the external change. So do I want to change my role? Do I want to exit the business? If I'm the CEO, do I want to still be the CEO? People often focus on the external change. And that's often what they come to me talking about. But when they make any change, if they do, like some of them don't, everyone's on a continuum. Some people, and they work with me, and many people actually stay in their role, but just make it way more aligned with their values and what is meaningful for them. But some of them who do make the significant outer change, that's where the identity change often comes in. Um, so when they do that, they usually underestimate the psychological transition that they go through. That actually, like, like you wouldn't say this to them before they make a major change because it seems quite daunting, but actually that's the easier bit. It's the psychological transition of that identity change. And I often think of it as that, that messy middle. It's often called the liminal space. And I think of it like, if you were swimming across a river, it's the point where you leave one bank 
to that identity, but you haven't really reached the other side. You're not in that new world, that new way of being, that new way of living, that new identity. And that messy middle is really a tricky space. It's where self-doubt can come in. It's where high achievers get really impatient because I only work with high achievers. So they're used to doing everything really fast, faster than anybody else, better than anybody else. And when they're in that messy middle, it's a tricky space. And it's easier not to be alone during that, to have somebody or people that are supporting you in that, because that's a bit where it's very tempting to go back to what you used to do and not stay the course, particularly for, as I say, high achievers who want to do things fast. But there is great stuff on the other side of that, of staying with that piece. Yeah, for sure. So how do you help them through the messy middle? Well, first of all, tell me how they get to you and then secondly, how you help them through the messy middle. Well, usually they come to me, the two most common things people say to me when they reach out to me in some way is either they're talking about what's next. That's a very common thing, which is why I actually, the tagline for my business is what next after success. So they often say something like, I'm wondering what's next for me or what this next stage of my life is going to be. Or the other thing they usually say is, I feel like I'm at some kind of crossroads. So they're very often thinking about it from a work perspective initially. That's sort of why they reach out. And they're wondering, do they want to keep doing what they're doing or do they want to make a change and, and, and so on? Then we start working together. It often gets, you know, a little more into like that inner part of what truly matters to them, what they truly want in their life and their values. And are they living the way they want to be living? Because very often they've been rewarded and validated so much for their success, for all that external achievement that it's quite hard to unhook from that because mm. the you know society wants you to keep doing it and your organization wants you to continue on as the ceo or the coo or, or whatever it might be so and then we have inner drivers that you know there's a reason why i often describe it as the very things within a person that create that level of success are often the very things that make it harder to unhook from it if you want to go a slightly different direction or you want to prioritize other things in your life and I would say with my clients, they generally fall into two categories. One are people who do enjoy what they do and they want to keep doing broadly what they do, but they're just too busy. They're probably working way too hard and are sacrificing other parts of their life, whether that's their health, other things they want to do, or other people, it's not so much about the busyness, it's more that they've got that pull into something around something more meaningful. They often tell me that if they're going to work this hard and they know they've got a lot of talent and experience they want to use it in a more meaningful way and the the phrase that i'd often use is moving it at this kind of midlife mid 40s mid 50s stage is often from success towards significance and that's that latter yeah. group are often about that significance rather than just the the outer success yeah. yeah yeah i call it achievement versus fulfillment or and fulfillment yes. you know it's, yes. it's kind of an and isn't it um, it is yeah. fascinating because I think a whole lot of people are are hitting that. I'd say a much larger um, number of people are hitting this than previous years. Um, I, re I don't think it was undiagnosed. I, I think the environment's become a lot more stressful and a lot mm. more, um, and the choices are, are more vigorous, but also the pressure is just more. Yeah. Are you seeing that? I mean, you and I have been working for a while. Yes, we have. Um, Look, I think this has been around forever. I mean, I really do think it's it's absolutely classic stage that people hit. Um, now, whether they listen to it or not is another thing, because mm -hmm. um, what a lot of high achievers do and a lot of very successful people, when they have that like, little niggling voice or nagging voice that's saying, mm, I don't know if I'm not happy anymore or I'm not as fulfilled or something's missing, what they often do is they look externally. They set another goal. Maybe I'll 
expand the business. Maybe I'll go and move into that market. Maybe I'll do a, you know, an acquisition. Maybe I'll change. So they often look externally, set another goal. But actually, it's an it's an internal thing. So you know, so I do think this has been around, you know, forever uh, for people. However, I do think certain things in the environment now, particularly of course, COVID, because what's happened with before COVID is a lot of people were working in a certain way, traveling a lot, working really long hours, a lot of pressure, but they don't, they, you know, that was a kind of a, a, a treadmill or a momentum. Whereas once they stepped out of that, and maybe for a period of time, were not traveling or not commuting and had more time. Now it's a conscious choice to go back into that. So it became more obvious the way they were living and the choices or maybe some sacrifices they're making in parts of their life. Um, so I think that's also changed in, in the environment. Now, the reality is an awful lot of people are just as busy as they ever were since COVID, but they've had a taste of that other way of being, whereas before a lot of people never hadn't felt for a long time that sense of spaciousness that can be there. Um, another way to, to now, be how do world. people respond to them when they're changing like this now? Do you help them with that as well? Because now they go back mm -hmm. and they suddenly now showing up differently with the board and with their partners and with, you know, they're just not doing what they used to do or showing up. Okay, know. well, I, people must I go, know. oh, my word, what did Jill do to them? I know, absolutely. Um, well, I, interestingly, I often have people saying, like, um, uh, business partners or, in particular, wives or husbands, after if they, have, if they haven't seen me for a while, sometimes they, they'll say, you need to go back and see Jill. So <laughs> usually usually people around them actually really see the benefits and, and are, are actually really pleased about that. But I'm sure there are times where look we put everything in the context of take a systemic approach of their family life their work life the context in which they're making any decisions what we usually start with is getting super clear and this sounds easy but it's a little bit of a process and an exploration what they really want and i mean really really want and then we bring in the context and all the other players that are involved and you know all of that kind of stuff and the practicalities around it but it does start with actually figuring out what we really truly want in this next phase of your life because for people that because i work people are generally 40s and 50s and there's that sense of if i'm going to do something i better get on with it you know if i want to live yeah. a different way or make some slightly different choices so we start getting more focused on what that really might look like for us and then of course we have to put in the context of our life and our world and our family and is it, is it also influenced by the fact that we are living longer and we are healthier and so mm. at the age of 40 and 50 we do actually have a good 20 years ahead of us that we could still do something quite significant whereas I think in the, the kind of linear career people had before mm. it's like that's okay it. well I've got the 10 years left and, and that's it and I'm in the same organization yeah yeah exactly and one of the other things that I found so certainly that people definitely people I'm working with are, are not ready to hang up their boots. In fact, the retirement word is just most of my clients. Absolutely. We don't even go there. It's not about that. It's more they know they've got so much more to live and do and they want it to be the right stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. You know, so that that part of, you know, really wanting to make the most of that next bit would might might well be a quite chunky period of time. Yeah, for sure. Have you found sure. that some people, I find when I ask them about purpose and values, they really just cannot tell me. It's like mm. they don't know what they want. Um, yeah. Do you find that some people really struggle to totally. say what they want? Yes. There's quite a few reasons for that. So one is I often try to bring purpose down a little bit. I think words like purpose and meaning can end up being so lofty and up here. And you think if I'm not 
curing cancer. I'm, you know, I'm not living meaningfully or with purpose. So I try to really bring it down from that and what feels right inside. And then the other reason is a lot of people that I work with, they've obviously, they're very good at what they do and work is quite often quite a dominant part of their lives. So even when I ask them a simple question, like what brings you joy? What do you love doing? Sometimes they are a bit like deer in the headlights when I ask them that question because they've just moved away from that. They're used to pushing through, getting stuff done, doing whatever it takes and no better people to do that. But they can often be a little bit more moved. I mean, they can tell you the simple things like I love playing tennis or I like watching rugby or something, but anything a little bit more than that because they've often moved away from that. So part of their journey is often getting back to doing things that bring bring them joy that are just for their own sake, not for an achievement. Mm -hmm. So there can be quite a myriad of things that can add into that complexity around what looks like a simple question of what do you really want? But there's quite a few, quite a few layers to it. But I definitely feel that words like purpose and meaning have to be brought down into kind of a more tangible, easier, more easily accessible. Because my personal view is that things that energize you when you feel alive, when you feel joyful, those are often the breadcrumbs. Those are the clues that start bringing you towards what's truly meaningful, whereas it's not an intellectual exercise. And often it's more of an exercise of uncovering what's actually already within you more than discovering this mm. totally new thing that's out there. Everyone I work with, really, they're actually just rediscovering and connecting back in with what's within them, what actually lights them up and what might bring them towards a path of, of more meaning and fulfillment rather than it's some external thing over there. So how long does this process take? It's different for everybody, but it's, I don't do quick fix coaching. It's so I would work with people for a minimum of six months because with this sort of thing, you're digging into the layers. You're really getting into what most people say to me when they come is that they're really trying to set themselves up for the next phase or stage of their life. So it's not like a quick problem they're trying to solve over here. It's actually really trying to set themselves up for that. So usually a minimum of, of six months, some people I would work with for a year or a year and a half, something like that. Yeah. I think that's right. I think there's very different types of coaching and this is a very specific type of coaching. It's not a performance piece of coaching, no, which not. it could be, um, mm -hmm. but I think people have to be very clear about what type of coaching it is they need. Yes. Well, how do they know they get a good coach? Let's just, let's say they're sitting there going, oh, that sounds like me, but how do they know? What is it? Because there's so many coaches and I just sometimes see very dismal results. Well, I mean, on a personal level, obviously, there has to be that connection with somebody. So I often find people will have looked me up or have seen my posts on LinkedIn or something, and they'll just say, I really resonate with what you're saying. So you've got to find the person that's on your wavelength. So like, there's all different types of coaches out there, and there's the right coach for everybody. So, so I always say to people, my kind of coaching is not for everybody. It's just not. But for those people that it's right for, it's really really right for and that's the same with any coaching that some, somebody might need a performance coach and that's totally fine that's not the space that, that that i work in so and then of course it is around you know the person's experience and their background and credentials and so on um that that is an important factor too but i think the person usually my kind of work they sort of know they know if they are reading my stuff and they they feel like she you know she's on my wavelength this is exactly they often just say it's exactly what was in my head and that sort of stuff and then that's so we're we're on the you know the same wavelength in, in terms of that but yeah you do need to make sure that the coach is right for you and that's you the do. right experience yeah. yeah um 
what would you say to younger people as they start off their career? Mm. Um, because they're all going to be barreling towards this or the high achievers, at least like they're now in their 20s and 30s, maybe 30s, barreling towards this. Mm. What would you say to what them? advice would I give them? Well, I, I do think this this is a stage of life type type of coaching for sure. So it's, it's not going to be relevant earlier. And there's probably not a lot you would do to preempt it too much. But the biggest thing I would say is whatever age this starts to happen, my biggest advice would be to listen to that voice that's inside your head. So that little nagging voice, if it's whispering to you, um, if it's saying something to you, actually pay attention because what a lot of people do, as I said, is, is they just get busier, they set another goal and so on. And all that does that, I can promise you that never solves the issue. It just pushes it down the road. Mm. Um, it just means you're busier for a while, you're distracted with the next thing, but that voice doesn't go away. So I'd really say, listen to that voice, listen to what it's telling you, be with it. Um, and actually, I find interestingly, a lot of the people that I work with, it's often the first time they've really dug deep and thought about what they really want. Because what's often happened is in the earlier stages of our life, we often have goals in front of us. So we want to get established in our career. We want, we've got goals in terms of moving up the ranks in an organization. Or if you're a, an entrepreneur, maybe creating your first business, exiting your first business, creating your second business. There's usually, And then personally, it might be things like buying a house or buying a bigger house or, you know, raising children, all of those, we've often got those things in front of us. Where I often work with people is they've got to a point in life where there, there isn't the next obvious goal in front of them, the next thing that's keeping their focus. So then they're like, oh, well, what do I want to do? And what does make me happy? Now they're really having to think as opposed to the distraction of the achievement. So for younger people, they're on that, you know, building their success, building their career, building the other parts of their life. And, and that's totally fine. But I would say at, at a point where that little voice starts to come in, pay attention. It's got something yeah. important to tell you. And we, we often hear about the, the midlife crisis. I talk about not midlife crisis, but midlife questioning. But the questioning stage, which is where people are usually when they come to me, precedes midlife opportunity. It's such a fantastic and gorgeous opportunity if we listen to that voice and listen to it and, and pay attention and actually work with what what is actually going on. There is that opportunity on the other side. But the reality is there is a questioning phase before we get to there. I really like your repositioning of it as midlife opportunity mm. because I think so much negativity sits around this midlife crisis. The word crisis yeah. makes yeah. it feel really awful, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, and, oh, that's just menopause and, oh, you yeah. know, and all of these things just make it mm. um, like such a negative experience. And if we see it as a midlife opportunity, um, and yeah. a life that has 20 years left in it that can yeah. be reinvigorated and it's realigned. It's so exciting. Yeah. Right? To me, it's, um, it's, why, it's why I love working in the space. It's such an exciting new mm. phase because often when we're earlier in our life, we're without realizing we often are being influenced by some of our upbringing, some of the messaging we got, some of the kind of patterns that we picked up along the way from our childhood and from society. Whereas this, to me is the phase where you start moving into who you truly are and it's just so exciting so that's why to me it is the opportunity um and I'm, I'm not saying there isn't a little bit of turbulence before you get there a little bit of questioning and digging deep but really what pulls me into this work is because it's such an ex what comes next what what you get after that is so exciting it really is that wonderful opportunity to live how you truly want to live and make those kind of choices yeah i love it and now i want to ask you you probably continuously think about what's best to help people through this. 
mm. um, and read and research and what are you thinking next what are you starting to see would be even more interesting to bring in to think about in this space do you mean what do i personally want to do next or do you mean yeah, what, what personally is it? what you want to do next but in yeah. your work right mm. if you're reading like is it more neuro work is it more yeah you know what, what are you seeing yeah. emerge from this space so for me for me i've always been very eclectic in my approach right back when I studied psychology I didn't understand why you might be a behaviorist or a particular type of psychology I was always like surely you learn it all bring in everything you can and then you've drawn what you need so I guess for me I feel like for me personally in the work that I do is to keep growing myself keep learning keep adding more stuff and keep working on myself personally and I do that I was just in London last week at a really intensive personal development course and the reason I do that is I always feel like when I learn and grow and resource myself I help my coaching I also resource myself from my family and my friends and so on so it's just keeping broadening and, and learning and growing and I, I and I bring that in um, and then in terms of specifically around this work in terms of what I want to do because I feel like I'm on the path I want to be on right now. There's not a radical new thing I want to do, but I guess what I do want to do is make sure that I, and it's partly why I'm doing a podcast like this, is I, I want people who need support in this messy middle or in this moving from midlife questioning to midlife opportunity. A lot of people don't know that somebody like me exists. A lot of people just have this idea about the midlife crisis and that people go it alone and don't actually realize that there's somebody like me who specializes in exactly this, who I live and breathe this stuff. It's the only place I coach um, and to bring in that combination that I use of both psychology and coaching together. So that's the sort of combination of the deeper work where we need it and then the coaching, which is more future focused. Um, so I really just want to make sure that the people who want and need support in this stage get it. So it's making sure that the word is spread and that the right people know that, you know, somebody like me is out there just like there's lots of different people need different types of coaching just to make sure because a lot of people come to me and say I don't want executive coaching I wanted to come to you because you're an executive psychologist so they know there's something slightly different that they want or they don't want generic or they don't want performance coaching or they don't want mm. standard executive coaching they know it's about their life their future and maybe something a little deeper as well so um, yeah so just I, I agree to make sure that so people know that yeah. I agree with okay. both of those things. I mean, I think it's so dangerous that we get stuck um, as leadership developers or coaches um, in what we know. And so mm. we absolutely have to take the time up for our own development. We're only as good as our own development, I think. Um, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we need to go into the same discomfort, the same continuous learning. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I do think that we need to get this message out. I'd love you to even write more about midlife opportunity yes. for people to learn um yes yeah. I, I do write on my i do write a lot on linkedin i write a couple of times a week on linkedin and i write um, my blogs but i guess one of these days i i should really write a book about it because there actually yes, there will. actually isn't there actually isn't enough written about this there really no. isn't like i often say this this midlife questioning slash midlife opportunity stage is really not well understood and it's not well known it's not it's not something that people talk about, which is why I said to you, I want to spread the word because people go it alone because they don't really understand. They think what they're going through is unique to them on, whereas it actually isn't. It's it's really understandable from a psychological perspective. There's certain classic things that happen, certain things that help you get through that into the really exciting part of it. 
really well and you know so a lot of people just feel like it's just them when they're questioning things or doubting what's you know, do I really want to be doing this work anymore like me I mean I would never dreamt that I would start to fall out of love with what I was doing and it wasn't really that I was falling out of love with it I wasn't escaping something that I didn't like I just was a pull into something more something deeper mm. something even mm. better and people you know don't just think what's what's going on why am I thinking like this mm. but mm. actually this you know it's a great great opportunity so um how can they find you online and how can they follow you? And of course, we're going to make sure this book is written. I promise everybody I will support Jill in writing this book because it's necessary. But where can they find you? Where can they they yeah. follow you? So straight away, I would say follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. So I write a couple of times a week. I just do short little snippets on all of this sort of space. And more broadly than this, also really on living life that is going to be happy and fulfilling for you even no matter what stage you're at so i post a lot on that and then also my website um jillwalker.com it has probably the most useful thing for a lot of people they want to know a bit more is to go into the blog section because i've written a lot of blogs around all of this territory midlife questioning the opportunities you know, and, and things like being happy and fulfilled and all of that sort of stuff so there's lots and lots of stuff there so and you can subscribe to my blog if you want i, I write one about every about every month or six weeks. Um, but there's loads. If you go back, you'll see there's loads, loads in there that might be relevant. So I'll say I'll also make sure I'll make sure that I post links to that as well um, when we yes. post the podcast. Um, I can tell you that the LinkedIn is posts are fantastic. They're very honest, they're very beautiful, <laughs> and there's always a very beautiful photo of you with it. Um, any final thoughts? Anything you haven't covered? Um I would say one thought is if you are going through this is giving yourself just a little bit of space around it because typically the people who are in this starting to have these thoughts um are very busy people so i would say it doesn't matter how you get a little bit of quietness in your life it could be going for a walk it could be you like to meditate it might be you like to sit in a nice cafe with a cup of coffee it could be fishing it really doesn't matter but if you're starting to wonder about, do I really want to be doing exactly what I'm doing for the next 20 or 30 years? And those questions are starting to percolate off a little bit. Then I would say a little bit of space or stillness is usually when we start to get a little bit more clarity. Whereas when we stay in the busyness, what happens is we're busy and we have the thought and it pops up and then we have to keep going. We have to do stuff. Um, and then the thoughts are just going to keep popping up. They don't go away. So I'd say just go into where whatever that looks like for you with a little bit of your own mental stillness and often we we know what might be the next step for us we don't need to figure out the whole thing but what might be the next step for you and that's often really helpful for people yeah i've been through a couple of these transitions let's say at least two and i just remember sitting making that time but taking a yeah. book with me either a big mm. book or a smaller book and just starting to write things that would yes you know make because because i needed to write it down and mm. i just I didn't do anything with it. I just looked at what was emerging over time and what was yeah. interesting for me to read mm. and what kind of people I really had a joyful conversation with. You yeah. know, just let it emerge a little bit, um, yeah. even over a year. Mm. Exactly. And, and that's the thing I often say to people when I first start working with them. You know, the first part is figuring out what you want. You, you don't worry about acting on it yet. You're just trying to figure out what brings you joy, what, what is meaningful for you, those kind of questions. It doesn't mean you have to pack in your job or anything, but it's information to know what actually energizes you and drives you and might be part of 
the next 20 or 30 years of your life. Um, and then once we know that, we can decide what we want to do about it. But sometimes we block ourselves by thinking, I can't do that and I can't do this. Or, you know, whereas actually it's just being with it. And, and as you say, writing down is brilliant, especially for people who have quite busy minds. Mm. I think writing can be really powerful, really helpful in terms of actually saying, oh, that's what's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be really, really helpful. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Look, um, I have one more fun question and then I'll wrap up. And you know what mm-hmm. the question is and you know what you can't answer. Um, if you were stranded on a desert island by yourself, what is the one thing you could not live without? And it cannot be your husband or your children. I know. You tell me that it couldn't be my husband, which is my first thought. Unlike you, it wasn't said that, you know, it was just because I can't imagine being on. I'm sure there's lots of lovely things about being on an island. And I'd love to share that with a person because um, that's the kind of person I am. But um, I think it would have to be music for me. Mm. Because for me, music I actually create, um, I have an inspirational playlist and I put songs in there all the time that affect my mood. So I have certain songs that make me feel really calm and chilled and I have certain songs that make me feel uplifted and joyful. I have certain songs that make me feel confident. So they always affect my mood. And if you think about how powerful music is, like you might be driving along, you switch on the radio and a song comes on, you immediately feel happy. Um, so it has that instant effect on our mood. So I love to have songs that the lyrics and the melody have an impact on my mood. And um, so I think if I was living on my own on a desert island without my husband or with anybody mm. else, I would need some things that impact my mood. So I think music and my oh, playlist I think that is would brilliant. be the one. I'm brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I wish I would thought of that. <laughs> now, what I take out of this conversation is that a lot of people are feeling this way, but they don't have mm-hmm. to stay in that place. Um, yes. That they really should start to just make that space for themselves. To start mm-hmm. to think about what brings me joy, what energizes me, what de-energizes me, and how might I start creating that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can create that even within what I currently do and where I'm at. Um, yeah. I can redefine that or I can really create something different for myself because I still have a lot of time there's so much Mm. opportunity in this but that there are people like you who specialize in this that Mm. you don't you know I think a lot of people just from my experience and I get asked a lot which coach should I use (laughs) by my clients um, Mm. because as you know I don't do individual coaching I do more the systemic leadership development work Um, and so often I say but first tell me what you want to be coached on tell me what the outcome is you want to achieve because I can throw a whole lot of coaches at them, but I don't think before I knew you, I had a lot of options to say, you know what, Jill Walker is the person you need to go to. You need an executive psychologist and CEO coach to work this bit out. You don't need a performance coach. Some people do. You don't need Mm -hmm. this type of coach. This is where you're at. This is what I think you need. And so I want to thank you for doing this work. I think it's really important work that you're doing. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I feel... I absolutely love the work that I do, but I also feel incredibly lucky to do it and to be with people on that journey and and also, to be honest, see the outcomes. Like I see what happens on the other side of it, um, which is why it's so lovely to work with people for a period of time. So, you you know, you see what happens next. And I feel incredibly lucky to do this work. Um, So I'm I'm so lucky when I go back that I actually found my way into psychology and then found my way into this. It's it's a real privilege. It's I mean it's this is really truly people's lives, people's happiness. And and to be honest, the ripple effect that happens, I also see the ripple effect, whether that's within a family, children, with colleagues, but the ripple effect that happens when people do this work themselves. Um, or the 
to be honest with some of the people I work with who choose to go into something more meaningful, the ripple effect in terms of the knock-on effect when they use their incredible intelligence and talent and sometimes their influence, if they're well-connected, to do really good in the world. And that's just incredibly rewarding for me as well, that to see them personally happy, but also the good that can happen in the world as a result. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, I'm sure everybody will enjoy this conversation very much, Joe. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, Marianne.